This is Pastor Stuart McClellan from the Altoona Bible Church greeting you. The warm-hearted church with a heartwarming message, the family church. Sing with us, pray with us, and follow the message in God's Word. The choir will open our service by singing, Jesus, make me yours.
Now Stephanie and Sophia McClellan will come and sing Stars. Too far. 
We now have Jeremy Hedrick playing in the trumpet. Lord, I lift your name on high. Here now is Jeremy Hetrick, Larry Grabo, John Harris, and Joshua and Stephanie McClellan singing, I'm Still Amazed. What a blessed day when the Lord watched away my every burden. What a joy divine, what a glad, happy time, and I am certain. Through the years have come and gone, the Savior still has me. As the very moment that I first believed, I'm still amazed at the grace that He gave when I was holding to the end of my rope. Still in all of the cost of the cross, so I can know that I know that I know that it will be everything that I need, every minute of every day. And the wonderful, marvelous, glorious way he says, I'm still amazed. Not 
so good that there's no way that I could have caused to doubt Him. He knew well who I was, but He saw who I could be. And from glory to glory, He keeps changing me. I'm still amazed at the grace that He gave when I was holding to the end of my rope. Still in all of the cost of the cross, so I can know that I know that I know that He will be everything that I need. Every minute of every day At the wonderful, marvelous, glorious way He says I'm still amazed Oh, how marvelous How wonderful And my song shall ever be How marvelous Now we have Nancy McClellan coming to play in the piano in Christ alone with Jesus paid it all.
I want to thank our musicians and singers for providing us with such beautiful and Christ-centered music. Our sermon topic is Grace is the Answer, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through verse 7. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love with He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. God's grace is the answer. Grace means the unmerited, the undeserved favor of God bestowed upon those who deserve nothing but judgment. Grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. We know that salvation is by grace alone through faith. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith and not, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. Believers live by God's grace. We are kept by God's grace. Ephesians 2.10 For we are His workmanship, literally His poem, His poetry, created in Christ Jesus under good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Titus chapter 2, verse 11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us, instructing us, and what teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. And of course, it's God's grace. Well, I like to talk upon God's grace and God's grace in the eternal future. Just for a moment, just think on these words Ephesians 2, 7 begins with, that in the ages to come. And we're going to be talking about that. But there's an interesting parallel between Ephesians 2, 4 and Ephesians 2, 5. Remember, Ephesians 2, 4 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love where he loved us. Then verse 5 talks about, When we were dead in sins, he hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you were saved. The parallel is this. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 speak of God, but God, not but man, not but by my religion or my good works or my religious activities. It's but God. And we then see God's mercy and his great love. Then in Ephesians 2 5, it's man being dead in sins. This is about spiritual death. And we then understand and see God's love and God's mercy to save us when we were dead in sins, when we were the sinners. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through verse 8. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet pre-adventure for a good man someone even dare to die. But God commend his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us and remember the word death means separation I just want to remind you of the different aspects of death in Genesis chapter 5 we have physical death so and so begot this person and they lived so many years and they died and this person lived so many years and they died And you have literally the issue is the death bell is ringing and you have physical death. And again, remember, the word death means separation. Spiritual death. 
being spiritually separated from God. Genesis 2.17, the day that you eat, you shall surely die. And yet Adam lived to be 930 years old. The death was not a physical death, it was spiritual. Read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, the walking dead. They are alive physically, but they are dead spiritually to God. And then we know there's a second death, the eternal death. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 to verse 15. And then also Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14, talks about those who need to awake and arise. And those who are believers, sleeping Christians who are dead to the things of God, they're alive physically, they're alive spiritually because they trust the Lord Jesus Christ, their Savior. But the exhortation is to awake Thou that sleeps and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. That is not an exhortation for people to get saved. That is directed toward a believer who is, as it were, dead to the things of God. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5, dead in sins. That speaks of a spiritually being dead, being separated from the life of God, which is in Christ Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5 and 6, there are three important verbs. Hath quickened us together, hath raised us up together, and made us sit together. And notice, each of those three verbs has that word together. First of all, let's talk about the tense of those three verbs. The tense of all three verbs is not in the present tense, or it's not the future tense. The tense of all these three verbs is the aorist tense. In the aorist tense, the original Greek language means completed action, point in time. Let me ask you a question. When was the action of these three verbs accomplished? Think upon this. When was the action, when was the time of these three verbs being accomplished? The answer is at the moment of your salvation. The moment you trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, these verbs were accomplished. These three verbs are part of the spiritual blessings that we receive at the moment of salvation. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3, I encourage you to turn in your Bibles and follow along. Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. God has blessed every believer in the dispensation of grace at the precise moment of their salvation. He blessed them with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The blessings are spiritual and not physical in nature. God had promised Israel under the law material or physical blessings. Go back and read Deuteronomy chapter 28. And it was an if. If they were obedient. However, Israel disobeyed God, and instead of the blessings, there would be the curses of the law. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 15 to verse 48. However, for believers today, the spiritual blessings are ours at the moment of salvation because of our position in Christ. Our spiritual blessings do not contain the word if but rather God has already blessed us. God blesses us in Christ with all spiritual blessings before we've ever proven ourselves. They're ours at the moment of salvation. The spiritual blessings in the dispensation of grace 
are not based upon a believer's faithfulness, but rather upon the grace of God. God did the blessing. And this is something that the believer cannot do or produce themselves. He can only be the recipient of these spiritual blessings of God. And God does not bless the believers because of who they are, but blesses all believers because of the Lord Jesus Christ and being in Christ. Spiritual blessings are ours as a result of our union with Christ, and they are given to us at the moment of our salvation. I'd just like to share with you just a few of these spiritual blessings. Romans chapter 3, verse 22, justification. 1 Corinthians 1.30, redemption. Romans 6, 3, and 4, we're baptized into the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're raised to walk in newness of life. Absolutely all of our sins have been given, forgiven through the blood of the cross. Ephesians 1, 7. Romans 5, 1, therefore being justified by faith that we have peace with God. Now, that's not speaking of the peace of God, found over in Colossians 3 or Philippians 4. That's something else. This, this is true of, of just of all believers. The we, the believers, the, the, the unsaved, the world does not have peace with God. And you don't make the peace. This is a blessing that we receive. The Holy Spirit is God's down payment to all believers that he is going to redeem these bodies, Ephesians 1.14. And we could share many more with you. But those spiritual blessings are ours because of our position in Christ and our union and our complete identification in the Lord Jesus Christ. The voice of these three verbs. The voice of the verbs is not the passive voice, but the active voice. And again, remember, we understand this or should understand this in our own English language. The the active voice means the subject of the sentence produces the action of the verb. The passive voice would say that it receives the action of the verb. Who is the subject of all these three verbs? It goes back to Ephesians 2.4. But God! And just think upon the definition of these three verbs. All three verbs are compound verbs. They are made up of the root word and then a preposition, which speaks of with or together with. Hath quickened means to be made alive. Hath raised us up speaks of a spiritual resurrection and not our future physical resurrection. Made us sit together. We are already seated together with Christ in the heavenly places. And just think for a moment of the heavenly places that are found here in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 1.3 that we just previously had read, we're blessed with all the spiritual blessings. Ephesians 1.20, it's the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.6, we're seated in the heavenly places in Christ. Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 10, the witness And then Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 12, our spiritual battle. Verse 12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principality, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Our nation has physical enemies, national enemies that hate our country. The believer, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a hand-to-hand combat with another individual. It's not with flesh and blood. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. 
It's a spiritual battle with Satan and the fallen angels. Ephesians chapter 2 again talks upon that we, verse 5, that we were dead in sins. And God then, the Lord Jesus Christ, has quickened us together with Christ. And then there are a few more words there in verse 5. By grace ye are saved. Let's for a moment consider those words. By grace you are saved. It's a brief description of what hath quickened us together with Christ means. The word are is in the present tense, and the word saved is in the perfect tense. And the perfect tense means completed action with a continuing state of being. The emphasis of the perfect tense is upon the continuing state of being. Literally, it means that we were saved at a given point in the at time in the past, and these individuals, the believers, continue in this saved state. They continue in that. Remember, and I just remind you, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, the gospel, Christ died at a point in time. He was buried at a point in time. And again, the perfect, really, we have no English equivalent. But he was raised at a point in time that he is what? Still in that resurrected state. By grace you were saved. You were saved at a point in time and you were still and continued in the saved state. That's eternal security. Eternal security is the eternal act of God whereupon an individual's faith in the gospel and his salvation, he is eternally secure in Christ. At that precise moment and he eternally secure throughout all eternity. So the moment we trust the moment you trust the Lord Jesus Christ, God saved you. And he eternally secured you at that point in time and then throughout what? All eternity. And I know there's individuals who despise that doctrine and they think, well, you're you're teaching people license to sin. No, God's grace teaches us how we ought to live. And sometimes they want to go to a verse of Scripture like 1 Corinthians 9.27. 1 Corinthians 9.27, But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. And so they conclude and they say, Well, if the Apostle Paul was concerned and afraid about being a castaway, who are you to think anything less? And so they think that means a loss of salvation. And you might say, well, what's the answer? Well, the answer is to what? To rightly divide the word of truth. Look to the context. The context takes us back to verse number 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receives the prize, so run that you may obtain. The issue is not salvation. And the word castaway means to be disapproved. The issue is not the context, and the issue is not salvation. It's talking about what? It's talking about reward. The very next verse of Scripture, Every man that strives for the mastery is tempered in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. Because at this time, you had the Greek Olympic Games. And these were the ancient Greek Games. In the person who won the race, they didn't get a gold medal. If you came in second, you didn't get a silver medal. Those The winners were given what? That crown. And the crown was made up of flowers. And those flowers would fade away. And what God is saying here through Paul, these people are doing all these things for a corruptible crown, but we as believers, incorruptible crown. 
So the context is not salvation. Clearly, the context deals with Christian service, the, the issue of rewards. So we are eternally secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's really one of the blessings, those spiritual blessings of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Romans chapter 8, verse 38 says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life... And the, the idea here, the book of Romans chapter 8, that specific chapter begins with there is no condemnation and it ends with there is no separation. And the idea is... Paul is looking almost as it were in the whole known universe. He's looking for something. And he's going to find out that there's nothing. I am persuaded, for I am persuaded. And I pray that you have that persuasion. I pray that you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and you're persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why? Because we are eternally secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll turn back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7. Because we want to talk upon, we know that we are saved by God's grace. We know that we're kept by God's grace. We live by God's grace. And we may not think upon this, but Ephesians 2, 7 is specific, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us, the believer. And again, how is it? It's through Christ. And the word ages is in the plural. Galatians chapter 1, verse 4 says, Who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. But Ephesians 2, 7 talks about the ages, plurality, the ages to come. And the word come is made up of two words, upon and to come. It means to go or come upon or over a person or place. It literally means the ages that are coming one upon another. The ages would just keep rolling one upon another, the coming ages. And here's an illustration that you might be able to identify with. If you've ever been to the ocean, the Atlantic, the Pacific, maybe the Caribbean Sea, and it doesn't matter the time or day, the waves keep rolling into the shore. During the day, you can see them coming. At night, you can't see them, but you can hear them. So it doesn't matter if you go at the rising of the sun. It doesn't matter if you go midday, the afternoon, or at this time of the sunset, or in the middle of the night. One thing we know, they just keep rolling. One wave after the other wave after the other wave. Ephesians 2, 7 is saying the ages to come, eternity is forever. The ages that keep rolling upon one after the other after the other. The word show means to show forth, to display. means to point out. Exceeding means to throw beyond the usual mark. Here is the 1828 Noah Webster's dictionary definition of exceeding. It's great in extent and quantity duration. The adverb is in very great degree. God uses a superlative exceeding to describe the riches of his grace. The exceeding riches of his grace. 
The word riches means wealth. This specific word for riches is used some 22 times in the Greek New Testament. Listen to this. 15 of those times, so 15 of the 22 times, it was used by God through the Apostle Paul. And you can see the occurrences of the word riches in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 1, seven, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the blood of Christ, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. That, that's marvelous. But it's according to the riches of his grace. Ephesians 2, seven talked about the exceeding riches of his grace. Ephesians 1.18 says, The eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you may know something. See, God wants us to know something. God does not want us to be ignorant. That you may know what is the hope of his calling. Listen to these final words. Verse 18. Follow along. And what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints... Did you, can you just pause for a moment and just reflect on those words and let those words sink into our hearts and into our minds? What the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Do you realize that God has an inheritance in you? You're a saint of God the moment you trust the Lord Jesus Christ, your Savior, you were taken out of in Adam, you're identified in Christ. You have that complete union with Christ. Go back to those three verbs in Ephesians 2, 5 and 2, 6 and see that word together with Christ. No wonder why God has inheritance. It doesn't say toward the saints. I've read commentaries where they make this, the word saint, to be holy places. That's not what it says. It says in the saints. Ephesians 3.8 talks about the unsearchable riches of Christ. And then you can read in Ephesians 3.16 about the riches of His glory. Throughout all eternity, in the ages to come, redeemed members of the church, the body of Christ, will be on display demonstrating the riches of His grace. You could look at it this way. God's saving grace. That's amazing. It's great. Again, think about amazing grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. That, that's amazing. But God keeping and teaching grace is even better. It's even greater. Then when we read, when we read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7, God's grace in eternity is even greater. His grace literally will only even get better if that is something that we can even comprehend in our minds. Romans 8.18 says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. God's word, if you read Romans 8.18 in the following verse of scripture, God's word assumes there will be suffering. And our suffering in this present world cannot compare to the eternal glory which shall be revealed in us. The glory which shall be revealed, not to us, not around us, but clearly in us. 
And then 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and verse 18. These verses of Scripture that I'm reading, and the reason why I'm reading them is to show you a parallel verse, because Ephesians 2, 7 talks about in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Well, these verses of Scripture are talking about what? Glory. There's glory out there. We understand we go through a lot of suffering. We understand what's going on in the world this very moment. But the, but the issue ultimately is for the believer. You see, we have an eternal hope. where We have the Christian hope knowing of the resurrection of this body. Sad, you think about people who buy into the philosophical belief that everything is in this world and that there's nothing out there. And you Christians who believe this, you had to make these things up because you're just afraid, and this is why you know you believe there's a, but there's nothing out there, and that's their belief. And their thought is that when you die, you just don't exist anymore. No, remember, upon death is separation. Physical death is the immaterial part of man, the soul and spirit, separating from the body. For the Christian, it's absent from the body, present with the Lord. Second Corinthians five six through verse eight. For the unsaved, it's absent from the body, absent from the Lord throughout all eternity, and they're going to hell, and they're going into the eternal lake of fire. Revelation chapter 20. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, For our light affliction, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more and exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Why we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Just think upon this. In these verses of Scripture, look, look at the contrast you have. Affliction versus glory. Light affliction versus the weight of glory. A moment versus eternal but versus far more exceeding. And the things which are seen, those are, those are temporal. We get our English word temporary from that, versus the things which are not seen, and those are eternal things. We may not want to think about this, but if you go back and read and study 2 Corinthians 4.17, the equation is, is this. The more the suffering, the more the eternal glory. Here's an illustration. Years ago, there was a push within the United States government to try to save money. They were looking at phone lines, ways to cut costs with electrical bills. Sometime later, they announced that they were able to save like $10 million. A leading economist said, well, this is great. But when you compare those millions of dollars against a budget in the trillions of dollars, it does not even calculate. He gave the illustration of those millions of dollars against trillions of dollars. It would be like an average family in the United States giving up, going out and buying a cup of coffee a few times a month. And you might ask, well, why do I bring this up? What does this illustration have to do with eternal glory? If millions does not compute against trillions, what about our mortal life against eternity? Our mortal life here, whether it's 60, 70, 80, 90, 
or maybe even a hundred years. How do you think that compares against eternity? Eternity is not just a few years. Eternity is forever and forever and forever. Think upon this course with eternity's values in view that Alfred B. Smith wrote. With eternity's values in view, Lord, with eternity's values in view, may I do each day's work for Jesus with eternity's values in view. You see, God's not against us as we suffer. Romans chapter 8, God is for us. If God is for us, who can be against us? And we know God is for us because He spared not His only begotten Son to die on the cross for our sins. To offer us eternal life by faith alone in the finished work of the cross. And so as we go through life, I, lo- I love that little chorus. May I do each day's work for Jesus with eternity's values in view. Colossians chapter 3, verses 3 and verse number 4 says these words. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Listen. And when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Believers serve the Lord of glory. Believers are going to a place of glory. And believers are people of glory. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6 and verse number 7. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world or the prince of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. The word mystery means a secret, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Did you hear those words? God ordained before the world unto our glory. In eternity past, prior to Genesis 1-1, Genesis 1-1, the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Prior to the creation of the heaven and the earth. Prior to the creation of the sun and the moon. Prior to the creation, and we know that the angels were created prior to the creation of this earth. Job 38-7. Prior to that, literally in eternity past, God had a plan. God had a plan. And God, before, He ordained His glory for the church, the body of Christ. And that's why it talks in verse number 6 about the Apostle Paul speaking this wisdom among them that are perfect, not without sin, mature, what wisdom is this? It's the wisdom of God and the mystery is secret, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world under our glory, which none of the prince of this world knew. It, it, it's not found in the Old Testament scriptures, folks. And you should know and, and realize when you go back and, and study this out in Matthew chapter 4, Lord Jesus Christ, 40 days, 40 in scripture number of testing. Satan then is going to come and tempt him. And the Lord Jesus Christ three times, it is written, it is written, it is written, quoted 
from the book of Deuteronomy. You see, this was not only an attack upon the Lord Jesus Christ, it was an attack upon the plan and the program of God. And then Satan then is going to quote and say it is written. Now what you have to do is get Matthew 4 and go to back to Psalm number 91, verse 11 and 12 and see them side by side. I, I understand that Satan misquoted it. I understand he misapplied it. I, I understand that. But the fact is, he knew that Psalm number 91 was a reference to the Messiah. It was a messianic psalm. And then he's going to say it is written. 1 Corinthians 2.8. Why do I say that? Because 1 Corinthians 2.8 says, which none of the prince of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Think upon that for a moment. And you might ask, who are the prince of the world? Do, do, do a word study. See it how it's used. The majority of times it's used of what? Satan and the angels. Some want to say this is government. If Rome would have known this, they wouldn't have crucified Christ. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about the prince of this world knew. For had they known it, had they known what? The it going back to verse number 7 upon this hidden wisdom that God had the mystery that God ordained before the world unto our glory because where is the church the body of Christ we're seated where in the heavenly places you see when you apply 2 Timothy 2.15 and rightly dividing the word of truth you'll see there's a difference between God's program with the church the body of Christ and God's program with the nation of Israel the nation of Israel deals here on the earth the church, the body of Christ, we have a heavenly hope. Satan, who was, again, remember, he was Lucifer. He was the anointed cherub that covered the throne of God, Ezekiel 38, Ezekiel 28, and then he was cast out, and he became the prince of power of the ancients too. And he's going to go from that position to the earth, from that position where he's going to be cast into, into the bottomless pit. And then he's going to be loosed, and then he's going to end up in the lake of fire, the eternal hell. So the prince here is a reference to Satan his fallen angels. And if they knew anything about the mystery about the church, the body of Christ, and the, and the church's position in the heavenly places, Satan is the prince, the power of the air. First Thessalonians 4 says, The dead in Christ rise first. We who are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord. Where? In the air. It's, a, it's the same word in the original Greek language, folks. We know our, we have the victory through Christ. I'm just telling you that had Satan known anything about this glory that God had set aside for the body of Christ, he never would have crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 10 through verse 12. Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It is a faithful saying. Literally, faithful is the word. One of these four sayings found through Scripture, through the pastoral epistles. And if you look at them, I'll give you the first one and the last one. You want to see God's supernatural design? Read 1 Timothy 1.15. This faithful saying worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Go over to Titus chapter 3 and find the last one. Verse number 8. And it talks upon, it's God's faithful saying, 
and be careful to maintain what good works. Do you see? What did God place first? God put the first faithful saying, faithful is the word about Christ coming into the world to save sinners. Salvation is by grace alone through faith. The last one is about good works. Should believers have good works? Yes. But those good works are not for salvation. Those good works don't maintain our salvation. It's a result of our salvation. Go back and read Ephesians 2, 8, 9. And then verse number 10. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained. God hath before ordained upon this eternal glory, before ordained that we should be walking in those good works. So here in 2 Timothy 2.11, one of the faithful sayings, if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. And this is not, I've read some commentaries and heard people say, well, this is if we died for him, like a, a Christian martyrman. That's not what it's saying. You're, you're changing God's word. If we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. Have we died with Christ? Absolutely. Go and, and read. Now, I will read for you Romans chapter 6. You see, I, I answer things and believe to answer things, but what? By the word of God. Romans chapter 6, verse number 3. Knowing not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death, therefore we were buried with him. Not like him, with him. By baptism in the death, like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And let me be clear, Romans 6, 3 and 6, 4, it has no water in it. Some see water maybe in verse 3, but not in verse 4. Others see it in verse 4, not verse 3. Some see it in verse 3 and 4. There's no water in verses 3 or verse 4. This is the baptism of 1 Corinthians 12, 13, Ephesians. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Colossians chapter 2. Galatians chapter number 3. So we have, we have died with him. If we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. Going back to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. And that denial is not, not denying of salvation. It deals with the eternal glory. And again, the issue of rewards. If we suffer, we will reign with him. Don't you love Ephesians 3.21? Unto him be glory in the church. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Believers, just think upon this eternal glory. I would encourage you to go back and reread Ephesians 2 7. Think on those verses. Go back and reread Ephesians. You want to go back and reread Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 through verse number 7. Then go read Romans chapter 8. Go back and read Romans 8 17. Go, go continue reading after verse 18. We know creation is groaning and they're suffering together. We, we are. But what are we waiting for? The, and what are we looking for? The redemption to wit. The, 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 the adoption to wit. The redemption of our body. That's, that's the hope we have. The eternal glory out there. 
philosophy and others will mock mock you and mock your belief in, in this, but there's an eternal glory. How do we know? Because God's word is, is faithful. Do you, do you understand that hope? And understand as we go through life, there is suffering. God understands that. But the sufferings are not working against you. They're working for you a far more and exceeding an eternal weight of glory. Go back and read the verse of Scripture. Go back and read 2 Corinthians 4, 17, 18. Go back and read 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 to verse number 8. Or 2 Timothy. Hope with Christ is an endless one. And without Him, it is absolutely a hopeless end. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your personal Savior? Romans 8, Paul said, I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nothing... As I said before, it's like he's looking through the whole known universe looking for something and there's nothing that he sees or can find that could ever separate him from the love of God. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ, your personal Savior? Where will your death lead you? We're so reminded of the frailty of human life and the truth of James chapter 4 that our life is but a vapor. It's here and it's gone. Do you, have that, do you have that Christian hope? Do you have that persuasion that if anything were to happen to you, you know it's absent from the body and present with the Lord? If you don't, the very gospel is Christ died on the cross. He, he was buried. He rose again that through his death, burial, resurrection, through his shed blood, we have the absolute forgiveness of all sins. It's, it's not the sin question. What have you done with the Son? Have you trusted Him? And when you trust Him, God God saves you. He makes you alive. He spiritually raises you together. Go back and read that in verse 5 and verse 6 of Ephesians 2. Together, together, together. That's speaking of our union that we have with Christ. And yet there are people who want to talk about you can lose your salvation. They, They don't understand God's grace. If you never trusted him, the preaching of the cross to them who perish is foolishness, but to us who are saved, it's the power of God. You need to trust him right now, right where you're at. You you don't have the promises of tomorrows. You need to trust him before it's eternally too late, because if you leave this world without faith and trust in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not going to light, you're not going to heaven, you're going to outer darkness, you're going to the eternal hell. The believer, we have this glorious future. Think upon these words and think upon that little chorus with eternity's values in view. May we live that day and that way day by day for Lord Jesus Christ. You have been listening to the Altoona Bible Church. We trust that you've received a real spiritual blessing from this service. It is our prayerful desire that you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. So until we meet again by radio, this is Pastor Stuart McClellan from the Altoona Bible Church. Wish you God's best for now and for eternity.